Got to get myself to the right page here. Sorry about that. I want to get started this morning with a little bit of a uh, survey. We're going we're gonna, to uh, test you here. I have three stats or facts to share about parenting uh, that you might find interesting. This was done by Pew Research. But before I share these, I want to be upfront with you. I'm going to share three of these, but only two of them are actually real or truthful. One of them is actually not truthful. And so you've got to sort through here this morning which of these stats, figures, is actually honest here. So the first one is this. The number one thing that parents worry about for their school-aged children is getting bullied. That's the first one. The second one is this. Two-thirds of parents rate their job um, as, uh, or rate how they're doing in, in their job as parents as either excellent or good. So let me try that again. Two-thirds of parents rate themselves as basically doing excellent or good as far as raising their kids. And then the third one is this. Only one-third of parents are concerned that their children have uh, religious beliefs that are similar to theirs. So those are your three statistics there this morning. Parents worry most about their kids getting bullied. Secondly, two-thirds consider themselves to be doing a good job. And the last one is that about a third, only a third of parents are concerned that their children have religious beliefs that are similar to theirs. Now, how do you do that? How do you sort through which of those statistics is actually true? Well, you have to do that by doubting. Because you have to look at that and say, I don't know if I believe that or not. Or I look at that, I don't know if I believe that or not. I look at that, I don't know if I believe that or not. But the way that we sort through truth in life is actually through the lens of doubt. And sometimes we look at doubt and we see that as something that's super negative in our lives, especially in our spiritual lives, and we're like, oh, I don't know if I should be doubting here, but it's actually a tool, believe it or not, that we can use to sort through things in our lives. It seems appropriate, though, because I don't know if there's anything that I've doubted any more in life than my parenting. And, you know, it's like you get the first kid and you start, you know, you kind of get the hang of it. And then the second one comes along. And, like, the manual that you're putting together from the first one is like, we can just throw that one out the window and we're going to start all over. And, of course, by about that time, the first one decides that, no, she's not on the manual either. And so I have two kids that I'm trying to, to wrestle with. And for some reason, I can't get it figured out with two kids. And I think that if I add a third one, it's going to make it all better. And so the third one comes along, and it's like, oh, gosh, where did he come from? And now he's male. He's not even female. And so we've added a whole other level to this, and we keep going. And, and I don't know how many times that I've looked at my parenting and doubted how I was doing, what I was doing, what was going on, how God was involved in that, all of these different doubts. I don't know if there's anything I've doubted more than my parenting unless it's my faith. And I suppose I'm probably not alone when it comes to that because maybe you have doubted your faith and there's a lot of different ways that you can doubt your faith, but maybe you've experienced that as well. Maybe you've wondered, well, I wonder if there really is a God. I mean, like, I believe that and that there's some days when I'm like, well, that's kind of far-fetched, isn't it? And you wonder if there's actually a God or, or maybe you've wondered why your prayers don't get answered. And that'd be a different direction as, as far as doubts go with your faith. It's like, you know, I've prayed that and it just doesn't get answered. 
I wonder why. And it makes me doubt my faith. It makes me doubt, does God really hear me? Does God really care about me? Is God really can control? Is God really involved in my life? And I start to have doubts in that way. You know, I've doubted, is, is the Bible really true? I've doubted, like, you know what? When I've done the right thing and it's all blown up in my face, is the Bible really true then? Because I thought I was following what the Bible said and it just didn't go the way it was supposed to go. And I'm like, huh, I don't know about that. I mean, recently I was, I was sharing Jesus with somebody who had never heard, really, the story of Jesus. And I, I mean, like, I asked a question, like, have you heard of this? You know, have you heard of Jesus? Yes. Okay, and then the question was, but was he really real? And, and I'm going through this whole story, and I'm sharing what the Christian faith is all about. And the whole time I'm talking, I'm like, wow, for a person who's never heard this before, this has got to sound really weird. And I'm even doubting, in a sense, as I'm going through that, not that I don't believe it, but I'm, I'm almost like assuming that they're probably doubting this. And, you know, the good news is, you know, a couple weeks later, that person actually came to Christ. But we have these different doubts, and maybe we even doubt, like, this salvation story. Or maybe, maybe we doubt sometimes, like, you know, is living for God even really worth it? Like, I'm trying to do all this, and here's how it affects my life, and here's my next-door neighbor who's just out having a good time, and it seems like everything's just going hunky-dory for him, and I'm really struggling. Or maybe you've come to faith this way, and I've done this a ton of times. Am I even getting this right? Like, I think I'm doing what it says, but, but I'm not sure. And then I've had that experience sometimes where I've really been confronted and had to go back to the, to the Bible and say, I don't even think I got that right. And there's a lot of doubts that come in this realm of faith. And it leads to this. Have you ever doubted yourself or your faith because of your doubts? Have you ever come to this place where you said, you know what, I don't, I don't think I'm a very good Christian, and like, I, I'm not really sure that I'm tracking spiritually like I should be, because why? Because I have all these doubts that are part of my life, and if I were really a better Christian, I'm not going to have all those doubts. Well, the story that we are going to look at today is in Mark chapter four, or 9. Excuse me, Mark chapter 9. I encourage you to turn with me there. You can use your device or if you want to use the Bible that's in front of you there. As you turn there, just a reminder, this series is about storyboards and how you can use panels to tell a story visually. And so if you're making a film or a movie, uh, you don't use chapters or outlines. You use these actual storyboards to advance the story. And so we're going to do the same thing throughout this series. But as we turn to Mark chapter 9 here, we've got another story that we're going to look at. And we're going to look at it in the idea of, of storyboards or in that format. But as we read this story, I want to ask the same question that I asked last week. If you had to tell this story, this, is this mic doing okay or not? All right, my hearing is really, really messed up right now. So... If it's kind of bad, like, wave at me and we'll try to fix it. But, uh, but as we go through here, I want you to think through how you would tell this story using storyboards. What would the scenes be that you create? And so you could be thinking that as we read this. And as we go through, I'm going to make a few observations. And then I'm going to come back and say, okay, here's how I would lay out this story. If I were going to make a movie about this story. So let's start reading in verse number 14 of Mark chapter 9, when they, and the they here is Jesus, James, John, and Peter. And Jesus, James, John, and Peter, right before this story takes place, 
has they've been up on the Mount of Transfiguration, if you remember that story in the New Testament, where Jesus has been transformed into what his, his future body um, and image will be like. And the, those three disciples have all stood there and just gazed in wonder. So they've been up on this mountain. They've just come back down into the village. And so that's what it says. When they came to the other disciples, the ones who didn't go up the mountain, they saw a large crowd around them. And the teachers of the law, so likely the Pharisees, who were arguing with them, we assume, with these other disciples. And so there's some type of um, conflict or confrontation that's going on there. And then it says in verse number 15, as soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. And some people think that maybe Jesus still has this aura about him from coming down from the mountain. I don't know that that's the case. What may have just been the case here is that the people are having, or, or the disciples and these, these Pharisees, these leaders of the law, are having this argument, and they look up and see Jesus, and like, oh, thank goodness he's here. He can resolve this. That could have been what that actually means here. But it says um, that when Jesus got there in verse number 16, he said to them, what are you arguing about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And so some scholars kind of equate what he's describing here is what we would today call like epilepsy, but it was driven by an evil spirit which had control over this young child. And so what he comes to, he says, you know, we have this problem in our house. This is my son. And I didn't know what to do, so I brought him. Well, I was kind of thinking I was bringing him to you, but the disciples were only here, and they can't help me. And so you can hear the frustration in his voice, and you can probably hear some of the disappointment in his voice, like, well, I didn't know what else to do. Where else was I going to go? And then they were, he was disappointed. And Jesus said this, you unbelieving generation, and that sounds harsh, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. And he fell on the ground and he rolled around and he foamed at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Remember about that question? It's like Jesus said to his father, how long have you been dealing with this? Because, boys, this looks hard. And it was like that moment where he could enter into the situation with them. It's like, tell me more about this. And so the man answers what this is going on since his childhood. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And you hear this desperate plague, can you do anything? It's interesting to me as we look at this story, how this contrasts with last week's story, where the woman came up and she just wanted to touch Jesus. She was convinced of his power if she could just get a hold of his power. And Jesus said, what? wait, 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 I've got more than power. I've got what? I've got compassion and love and pity for you. And we get to this story and it's like the exact opposite. This guy's like, I'm not sure of your power, but how about your pity and your compassion and your love? Jesus answered this, if you can. Everything is possible 
for one who believes. And it's interesting because he like flips the script a little bit here is what it feels like. This guy says, if you can help us, and Jesus is like, if I can help you. Here's the deal. It's not about me. It's about you. Do you actually have enough faith to believe that I can help you? Like the woman last week, do you have enough faith to actually reach out and touch me? And it's, well, we go on in the story here. It says, immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. In other words, he says, I believe, but man, I have some doubts. I have lots of doubt. In fact, I, I maybe I have too much doubt, but I at least have this little bit of belief. And I think sometimes we look at this faith issue when we come to Jesus and we're like, okay, I've just got to come up with enough faith here to believe. And when I get enough faith, then he's going to say, okay, yeah, I can answer your prayer here. And there are some there are some like veins of Christianity where we, we, where we hear that sometimes. It's like, you know what? You, you just got to have faith. You got to have faith, and you just got to keep praying. You just got to have faith. And it's like, if we can just keep thinking faith, faith, somewhere we cross that line where God says, okay, I'm finally convinced. Okay, now I can help you here. And that's the feeling that we get. But I doubt that as well. So we go on here. It says, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter into him again. And what was he saying here is, you know what? This is done. Spirit, you come out of this boy and you're never going back. In fact, Dad, you're never going to have this problem with this kid ever again. This is solved here and forevermore. The spirit shriek convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately, why, why, why couldn't we drive him out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by Prayer. And the point is what? We can't do spiritual work in our human strength and expect success. Now, if we take this story, though, and we take it apart scene by scene, how would you actually do it? And let's remind ourselves of this. So many times when we read the Bible, we've seen or heard that story before, so we know how it's going to turn out. And so the story loses its suspense. Like, okay, this guy comes to Jesus. Obviously, he's coming to Jesus. Oh, it's going to all work out okay. What we want to do is we want to add some suspense back into the story because suspense is one of the, the great tools of storytelling. So think about that, too, as we put together our storyboards here of what this might look like. And here's what I've come up with here. We've got scene one. And scene one is when the parents actually realize something's wrong. And if you're a parent, there's always that moment when something's going on with your child and you're like, oh, this isn't like what it should be. And sometimes it's even you know, like in, in those developmental stages, the kid's not developing as they should be. Or, or maybe it's like your child goes off to school and they're not interacting with, with kids maybe as they should be. Or, or maybe it's even like they, they're not having friends or they're struggling with, with schoolwork. But you can imagine that first scene where maybe dad comes home from work and the mother's standing here with his child and is like, you know, he had these convulsions today. And they're like, there's something wrong here. 
And I can relate to that so much as a parent because I think as we bring kids into the world, we are always concerned about their well-being. We're concerned about their, their safety. We're concerned about their success. And sometimes when we see that things come into the, their lives, it just takes all the anxiety that we naturally have and it just multiplies it. And we have this situation like, are, are my kids okay? And sometimes it's not even something as dramatic as this, but we, we just watch how they're, they're going through life and how they make decisions in life or who their friends are or, or where they're headed, and you're like, are, are, are they going to be okay? Now, nobody really prepared me for parenting in that way. No, nobody said, you know what? When you have kids, your anxiety levels are going to go like this. And I'll tell you what else they never prepared me for is they never prepared me for the fact that when they leave my house that they wouldn't come down. They'd just go up even more. And I was like, you know, when they're all out of the house and they're all out there on their own, I'm like, okay, we're good, finally. No. But the truth of the matter is we all, if, if you're in the realm of parenthood, you've been in that situation where you worry about your kids and we get anxious when we see that them struggle. And we can see their situation here. I have two different friends that have had children with epilepsy who have actually had to make the decision to take them into surgery and have part of their brain removed. Can you imagine that? That's the situation where, not in this day, they wouldn't even have this option, but that is what they're dealing with in this first scene. We go to the second scene. And we see that they go off probably to a park or to a park-like setting, and, and maybe they've taken a picnic, and mom and dad are sitting there having the picnic, and the child has gone off to play. And mom and dad, after a little bit, realize that they haven't heard anything out of the child in a while, and so they're like, I wonder where he went. And they wander down there, and they look, and they realize that their child is actually in a river fighting for his life. And they dive into the river, and then they pull him out, and he's lying there in this scene, and you can see just the, the, the parents crying, and there's that moment that they realize that he can never be by himself. And that, like, through the rest of the story here, one or the other of them or somebody like a, a, another family member or a caregiver, somebody's always going to have to be with this child because of the danger of self-harm. And you see that going on in this here part of this scene here in the story. And then we go to scene three. Well, of course, if you're like any parent, you're going to try to do what you can about that, right? So I'm just assuming, especially since we know that this is an evil spirit, maybe first of all, they started by going to the doctors. And again, this is my conjecture a little bit. But they take the dial to the doctors, and the doctors like, well, there's nothing we can do. And they realize that this is an evil spirit. And so maybe they go to the temple, to the religious place. And maybe they bring in the religious leaders and say, hey, can you do something to help us here? Maybe there's even some attempts made by these religious leaders to, to, to cast out this spirit. But you see them walking home and nothing's changed. And I put a little thought bubble up there. And maybe they're walking home and the parents are blaming themselves and saying, you know, is this my fault? Because this, that would have been a very natural response by parents back in that day to say, did I do this? Is this my fault? Remember in John 9 when, when the blind man was, uh, was healed by Jesus, the disciples asked what? Did this man sin or did his parents? In the culture of that day, the problems of the kids, especially in health or, or whatever like this, would have, would have been like, what did the parents do wrong? 
And I wonder in that moment if the parents were in that saying, what did I do? How, how am I responsible? And felt that moment. Well, they finally get home, and they're in scene three here, and they're sitting around and talking about this. I'm sorry, scene four. And, and, uh, and what do they do? And, and maybe somebody even comes and knocks on the door, or maybe the father hears this through town, but, but maybe somebody says, hey, have you thought about Jesus? Who, who's Jesus? And so they think about the, uh, Jesus, and, and they hear about what he's done, and they hear about these healings, and they sit and they have discussion, and finally the father says, that's it. I'm going to go. I don't know who he is. I don't know if he could do anything to help us, but this is our only hope. I'm going to go, and I'm going to take him to Jesus. And so he goes, and he takes them to Jesus in scene five here, and he arrives, but Jesus isn't there. Jesus is somewhere off, and so he comes, and he's like the disciples, and, and he says, can you help us? And the disciples, well, they've been on a missionary trip where they've actually had some success even in dealing with the evil spirits, and like, sure, we'll help you. And they try, and they try, and they try, and nothing happens. And as you can see in the picture of the crowd here, there are some that have smiles on their faces, and some that have frowns on their faces. And I picture all the disciples going, we don't know what's wrong, and we're so sorry that we can't help you. And you can picture the religious leaders that it tells us that if they're here, that are standing off going, yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. You guys are nothing. And there's almost like that, that smugness that comes like, yeah, you can't help him either. Never stopping to even consider the pain that the Father's in in this moment. And as they're discouraged and as they're frustrated with that, Jesus walks into the scene with his three other disciples. And he hears what's going on here. And what does he say? He says, hey, bring him to me. Well, we advance, we're in the same setting, but the scene advances here. The father brings the son to Jesus, and what action happens is immediately he goes into convulsion. And as we read earlier, Jesus says, how long has it been like this? But they have this conversation, which comes to this point where Jesus says, where the man says, can you heal him? And Jesus is like, you're asking about the wrong person. It's not whether I can heal him. It's do you believe? And it's that moment where we can picture this father when Jesus says, in essence, do you believe that I can? Where he's like, I don't know, but I sure hope so. And as we deal with that suspense, that's where I want to leave the audience hanging. To say, okay, let's just cut right here in this scene, and let's go to a new scene that's something different. And we're kind of waiting to see what Jesus does here. And we're waiting to see if the boy's healed, but we don't really have another scene to go to. So instead, what I want to do is I want to just leave us hanging, and I want to walk out onto the stage or walk out onto the screen and just have a little conversation here as we wrap up this morning on this idea of faith and talk about faith and doubt and what it looks like in the church. And it goes all the way back to maybe where we started, like where do you struggle with doubt? So some simple things here this morning as we talk about doubt. First of all, we need to understand doubt that doubt and unbelief are not the same thing. Doubt and unbelief are not the same thing. We have belief here and we have unbelief or disbelief here, and somewhere in between those two is where we can place doubt. 
And I realize that the wording that's used here in Scripture doesn't use that word doubt, but that's really what we're dealing here, is where this man says, I believe, but I'm really struggling with my doubt. See, unbelief never would have gone to see Jesus in the first place. Unbelief would have said, no, I don't think you can do anything about this. What he was struggling with was doubt, but doubt and unbelief are not the same thing. So when you're struggling with doubt in your life, you're not necessarily struggling with unbelief. It's a little bit different. Secondly, doubt and fear are not the same thing either. Doubt often leads to fear. Doubt often leads to anxiety. But you can have doubt without having fear. I don't know if you can have fear without having doubt, but they are not the same thing. What doubt is, is doubt is a reaction to uncertainty. Doubt deals with uncertainty. I'm not sure it could be this way or it could be this way. I want it to be this way, but I could see that it may probably be this way. And this is where doubt comes. Doubt comes into that realm of uncertainty. And we just don't know. And why don't we know? It's because we're very finite creatures. We live in this moment, and we can't accurately predict the future. We can guess, and sometimes we can come close, but we never know for sure. And so we're dealing with this uncertainty, but that uncertainty becomes doubt in our lives. Where we look at something and say, well, it could go this way or it could go this way. And because we don't have as much faith as we should, sometimes we kind of slip into that negative forecast. But that's where doubt happens. But here's something to consider. There could be no such thing as faith without uncertainty. I don't like uncertainty. You don't like uncertainty. But uncertainty is where faith works. Where we have certainty, we don't need faith. Faith lives in the realm of uncertainty. I'm not sure, so I'm going to choose to believe that. Okay, You're not doubting that I'm standing here talking to you this morning. That's not faith, because it's certainty. But we get into uncertainty that moves us into the realms of faith, and that's exactly where God wants to take us. So God actually wants to take us into maybe not doubt, but he wants to take us into uncertainty, but then doubt's going to be the byproduct of that. Hebrews 11.1 1 says something really interesting. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So faith is what? Faith is taking our doubt and minimizing it while at the same time growing our confidence in God. But we can't grow in our faith without dealing with uncertainty. And uncertainty becomes, we're going to see in a minute, actually that doorway for faith. Second thing is we need to allow for doubt. Doubt and faith can coexist. If you have doubt, that doesn't mean you don't have faith. They, they live in the same space. Now, the, the goal is to move faith into more of that space and doubt you know, compacted into less of that space, but they can definitely coexist at the same time. And that's what this guy's saying here. I have faith. I have doubt at the same time. Help! And maybe you feel that same way. Second thing, doubt never threatens nor surprises God. When we doubt, it's not like God's like, oh, no, they're doubting. How could they ever doubt? We're made that way. It doesn't surprise. Think about all the people in the Bible who struggle with doubt. Abraham. Gideon, Zechariah, Peter. I mean, there's just, I mean, like everybody struggles with doubt. That is part of the experience. And God doesn't look up there and go, oh, no, 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 well, what do I do here? They don't, 
they don't really believe completely. He's not threatened. In fact, that's part of it is he's hoping to just kind of move you a little bit further, but, but that is where he needs you so that he can work in your life there. So it doesn't threaten or surprise them. Third thing here, the church, though, needs to be a place where the doubtful, not the dogmatic, gather. And if you come this morning, and, you, and when I started and talked about doubt, you're like, oh, I can relate to that. Well, I'm just sharing what's going on with me. And I'm a pastor here. Doubt is part of the experience. We come together so we can encourage each other not to doubt, but to encourage each other in our doubts to trust. And sometimes we, we come to church, and, and everybody in church is like, I believe this, and I believe this, and I believe this, and you know, like, like, they're so strong on that, and, and some people are. And, our, and some of us look at like, how can it be like that? And I don't fit here because I have these questions. You know, here's the truth of the matter. Some of us struggle more with faith than others. So some of you who don't struggle with faith, we need you in our lives. And some who do struggle with faith, well, you need to come together so we can be strengthened in our faith. And my mom was one of these people who never, I don't think, ever struggled with faith. I, I don't know how she did it. And I'm like, I wish I could be more like that. But, you know, I was blessed to have her in my life because if mom believed that I was good. But, you know, we need those people who are strong in faith. But we need to come together in our doubts. And we need to be okay with asking questions. And we need to be okay with saying, hey, I'm really struggling here. Because this is where God is able to work. Because he's got our attention. And because he can actually speak into our lives. And sometimes at church... We want to be all about giving answers. Well, sometimes we need to be about asking questions so that we can point people to God, and that's where they can get the answers. And let me remind you of this, too. Doubt isn't sin. Disobedience is, but doubt's not. And then the last thing here, and I mentioned this earlier, but doubt is often the doorway to growth. There is truth and there is certainty, and we need to pursue it, and it comes through God, and it comes through God's Word. But as we doubt, what that does is that pushes us into exploring those areas so that we can find that certainty that we need. There's a third thing here that I would say, and it's this, that we need to overcome doubt. And, and here's how we can overcome doubt. And we see this from the story. We overcome doubt by working through it, by the way, not by just saying, oh, I shouldn't doubt, so I'm not going to. That doesn't work for me. If it works for you, that's great. But we need to, I, here's what I would suggest, and what we see in the story is, first of all, acknowledge it. To say, you know what, I'm struggling here. And acknowledge it, he's even just coming to God and saying, I'm struggling. Hey, I, I believe, but I have a whole lot of unbelief over here. Some doubt. And to acknowledge it is when we can acknowledge it, that we can start to see Jesus work. And where we can be honest with Jesus and say, I believe Jesus, but I really want to believe more. And that leads us to the second thing that I just said there. I believe Jesus. I want to believe more. Pursue relationship over certainty. And this is the key. Jesus says, if I can, when you go back to that verse, you know, if, if you could do anything, Jesus is like, if I can do anything, do you know who I am? And that's the key. If you knew who I was, your doubt would be a whole lot less. But you and I, we don't have a relationship right now, so you're going to have, you're, you're out there wondering. But as you grow in relationship, 
As we grow in relationship with Jesus Christ, that doubt dissipates because we have more trust in more confidence in Jesus. And so our certainty is not that the situation is going to be okay. The certainty is that I have Jesus who cares about me, who's engaged in my life, and who will work things out as they should in my life. And we find certainty not in changing circumstances then. We find certainty in grabbing onto the person who's in charge of those circumstances. Certainty is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I've been using this word faith, but let's just change it just a little bit in this moment to the word trust. The answer to doubt isn't just more faith. The answer to doubt is actually trust. See, the person in this world that I trust the most is sitting right there. That's my wife. It's not that I don't trust you, but I trust her a whole lot more. Do you know why? I've just spent 30 years with this woman. I know who she is. I know how much she loves me. I completely trust her. And that's the same thing in faith. If we want to grow in faith, we have to grow in trust. And the more that we know Jesus Christ, the more that we've gone through experiences with him, we can say, oh, yes. I can trust him. And so we talk about our faith then, but we need to think of it in this means, I think. We need to focus on faith enough. Faith enough. See, a lot of people in our world are saying you have to have, to have enough faith to, 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 to really believe that God will do anything, and when you believe enough, then he'll respond. No, 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 no. You just need to have faith enough to ask and I love this. This guy comes to Jesus, can you do something for me? But you know what? He came to the right person and he asked. And sometimes it's like, oh, faith, I got to have to have faith that God will. And I'm like, how about if we have enough faith to believe that God can? And if I believe that God can, then I can at least ask and I can leave it up to him. And then we need to have enough faith to act. Enough faith to ask and enough faith to act. And just acting maybe bringing your child to Jesus in this situation. See, we don't have to pray to convince God that we have a level worthy enough for his response. We just have to have enough faith to pray that God will do something. And we just have enough faith to take whatever step it is that we need to take. And then the last thing here, don't try to conjure up faith. Just ask for it. And I love this about this story. What does this guy say? I, I believe, but, but please help me with my doubt. And, and we have this idea that sometimes I just have to have more faith, and I'm going to have more faith, I'm going to have more faith, i got to have more faith. And Jesus is like, like, you can't do it on your own. That's what grace is about. Instead of trying to conjure up more faith, how about if you say, Jesus, I'm asking you, and I'm struggling with doubt, but could you please work in this situation? Hey, could you please give me more faith to believe that you will? That's what this man is doing. And what happens in this story? Well, let's go back to our last two scenes here. As we tell this story, the child is healed. You see him, he's no longer convulsing. In fact, he lies there dead, and everybody's standing around going, what just happened? That, you know, did he just kill him or whatever? And Jesus reaches down and he touches him and he stands him up. And I love that about the story. Jesus speaks to the demons, but he touches the child. 
And it's like this two-part miracle. And it takes us then to this last scene where the child and the father are restored. And I picture Jesus standing this child up by the hand, and I picture him walking over to the father and grabbing him by the hand, and I picture him as taking their hands and putting them together. And that child looks at this father, and his father says, I love you. Think about that. That child's never heard those words before. And for the first time, in fact, he's never heard language before, and there's probably more miracle going on here than we even realize. But for the first time, his father says, I love you, and he hears those words. And for the first time, he says words, too. He says, I love you too, Dad. And we have this moment where all of the fears and all of the worries and all of the anxieties and everything that they've dealt with, Jesus brings them together and he brings healing. And where there was doubt, he replaces it with faith. So as we wrap up this morning, let me just offer some encouragement here this morning. First of all, let's be okay with uncertainty. Let's not panic over it, but let's embrace it as a doorway to growth. Let's be okay with questions, our own questions, the questions with others, the questions that come with our faith, because questions are a step that should push us to God. Thirdly, let's bring our doubts to God because he is the answer. It's not that he has the answer. He is the answer. Let's ask for more faith. Let's ask that he do what he can do, and let's act. Let's take the step that we can take. And let me add just one more thing here this morning. Let's bring our kids to Jesus. As I look at this story, I resonate so much as a parent, and I realize that not everybody who sits in this room is a parent. But I, and I mentioned this before, it's like it doesn't matter what stage they are. Our, our parents, our, our kids are so much a part of our heart. But what is this encouragement in this story is like, okay, all this uncertainty we, we deal with, all this anxiety, and it could be kids, and it could be work, and it could be finances, and it could be so many different things. But this is part of it. And this is the context of it. Let's bring our kids to Jesus because he can do something about it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace and your kindness and your goodness. Thank you for these stories where you are the Father. Jesus, thank you for stepping into the story where there's doubt and bringing assurance. And I pray that in our stories you would do the same thing. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. The first question is, have you ever come to Jesus? With your uncertainty, with your doubt. And that uncertainty and doubt may be, where am I going to spend eternity? Am I going to be forgiven for my sins? Can I be free from these sins and how they just dominate my life? You can come to Jesus and ask him to come into your life to rescue you, to heal you spiritually. You can ask him to do that where you sit this morning. The second question is, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, where are you struggling with doubt this morning? Can you believe Jesus enough to act? Or even better, can you believe Jesus enough just to ask? Will you do that this morning where you sit? God, we pray for more faith. We believe. Help our unbelief. 
Help us through our doubt, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And thank you for being here. It's always so great to, to worship with you. I hope you were uh, encouraged this morning and uh, that you have a great week. You're dismissed.